0: Hi everyone, welcome back to the Wild Doom podcast. This is episode 5. 5 feels like a bit of a milestone, and I'm really excited, as I was last week, <laughs> that uh, yet another week has passed, another episode. Thank you so much for listening and giving me any feedback you have. I really, really appreciate it, and I'd love to hear more. Um, so please feel free to reach out, and if you're interested in coming on, please uh, get in touch. Anyway, um, this week I have a really exciting and important conversation that I loved having about queer and trans inclusion and support in the birth sphere um, with Amanda Hayden. Amanda is a full-spectrum doula as well as a social worker at the LGBTQ Center in Manhattan. The Center is a community and education space for the LGBTQ community here in New York. Um, They provide programs for health, wellness, and community connection. Amanda facilitates programs there to teach social workers how to be more LGBTQ affirming, um, as well as counseling families of queer and trans youth. It's such amazing work. Um, The center is such a great resource. They're doing a lot of education and outreach, um, provide a ton of resources. And are also having some events uh, that could really benefit some people listening, I'm sure. So I will be linking all that in the show notes. Keep your eyes open for that. Um, And Amanda uh, completed a full-spectrum doula training here in Brooklyn um, through Ancient Song Doula Services. I know I've talked about full-spectrum doulas before, but we get into it a little bit more in Um, why that can be a really great avenue. Um, Ancient Song is another really cool resource. They provide a lot more access to doula trainings, generally a lot more affordable, as well as provide low-income doula services to people who can't afford them. Um, this is obviously super important, and I think they're incredible. Um, they definitely hold social justice at their heart, so it's it's great to get involved with them wherever we can. Um, anyway, in this conversation, we get to talk all through Amanda's work as a social worker and doula, and how the two things are so similar and how they're different. Um, I really think that they're pretty similar, and Amanda uses this quote that I really like that a doula is a social worker of the birth world, which is so true. Um, We're all just, you know, being support and taking on those skill sets. And yeah, I I loved having this conversation. And we talk a lot about how to make our, our work as doulas and birth workers and care providers, but also just as people in this world, how we can be more inclusive of queer and trans people, um, starting by changing our language and really neutralizing how we're talking about things and that's a great place to start but please remember through this conversation and beyond that that is just a starting point there is far more work to do and we talk a lot about how you can educate yourself to be a more affirming person and ally in this world Um, anyway without further ado because I feel like Amanda has the best way of talking about all of this and I want us all to get to this conversation so I'll get to it um enjoy let me know what you think and thanks so much for listening yeah so um I would love to hear your background um, Mm -hmm. and what you do right now.
1: Sure. Um, So my background is that I am a licensed social worker. I basically came into that from 2013 to 2015. And I came to that through kind of a roundabout way. So in college, I studied anthropology, sociology, and gender studies. And okay. when I graduated, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I was looking into different um, masters and PhD programs and felt like I wasn't ready to make a commitment. So I decided to do a volunteer corps called Lutheran Volunteer Corps. Okay. And uh, through that, I was living in an intentional community with um, some, several other women in the program. And we all had an internship at different nonprofits throughout the city. And I was placed at um, an organization that does adult education. Mm -hmm. So I was teaching, but then I was also kind of doing some advising for students to talk about what's going on in their lives, what's going on outside of school that might be interfering um, or challenges or successes, all that stuff. And I, through the course of that work, met all these awesome social workers. And so I decided that I wanted to go back to school. So I moved to New York to attend Fordham University for Social Work School, and I graduated in 2015. Okay. Um, And that led me on the path that I'm on now, uh, which is that my first year of school, I was placed in a school-based health clinic in Bed-Stuy, and that was doing sexual and reproductive health. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Yeah. And then I moved on to an adoption agency for my second year placement. And I was working mostly in post adoption services. So with birth mothers, birth fathers, birth parents who had placed a child for adoption, as well as adoptees who had been placed for adoption throughout the last many, many years. And so trying to get them information about their birth families, or to get information to birth families about their children that they had placed for adoption. Um, but as an agency, we also worked with birth mothers and birth fathers and birth parents. So I, from there, decided that I really wanted to continue working with families and ultimately either foster care or adoption or family building. And then life kind of took a left-hand turn And I moved back to New Jersey for a little while to where I grew up, and I landed a job at a children's grief support center. Awesome. Yeah. Um, And then from there, I moved on to working (laughs) at the LGBT community center in Manhattan, which is where I am now. Okay. And there you're training social workers, right? Yes. So I run a program, which is called the LGBTQ Institute for Family Therapy. Um, That's a six-month certification program for social workers across the city, predominantly those who work for the Administration for Children's Services, and they're working with families, and the training is to increase competency and affirming practice for working with families who have a queer and trans youth. Amazing. Yeah. So then I also work with families one-on-one setting at the center through our mental health services.
0: And is this for like any family or is it somebody that has
1: to be involved like in a, I don't know,
0: any sort of social system? Does
1: yeah, so sense? our, yeah, totally. Our services are open to anyone. You don't have to have an open case of child welfare. You don't have to have meet any credentials besides the fact that you have a child who is either identifying as LGBTQ or is perceived to be identified as LGBTQ, and our mission is just to support the families in whatever they're dealing with, whether that's school or family-related issues, or if they're just striving to seek a greater understanding about their child's identity, or if it's causing some sort of conflict in the family, um, to really get support for that family as well as the youth.
0: Cool. What does that training look like?
1: Um, yeah. So the six month training is we meet for a day and a half every month. So it's pretty intensive. It's like mm-hmm. 54 hours over six months. And we cover a different topic every month. So we start with an overview of development of sexual orientation and gender identity. Then we move more specifically into sexual orientation, how gender identity plays out in family acceptance or rejection. We talk about the intersection of race and culture with um, sexual orientation, and gender identity, And religion, how that intersects. So it's a full day training. Um, It's small group. So I love facilitating. It's one of my favorite things. And so we do small group activities, a lot of processing, role playing, um, some kind of like just basic terminology and all that stuff. And then we work on workshopping cases.
0: Amazing. And is that
1: open to all social workers or is that something that is required in New York? So it's not required. Um, but okay. our, we run it at the center for free, uh, to social workers who are working with families. And we do give first priority to people who are working with an ACS organization, um, ACS contracts, a bunch of nonprofits around the city. And so we work with those agencies predominantly, but we do take other social workers on a case by case basis.
0: Okay, cool. That's so awesome that that exists. Yeah. My dad's a social worker. So, um,
1: I know a little bit about it but it's just such an interesting field. Oh cool. Yeah. We, yeah. We yeah, I um there we have a lot of social workers here and a lot of people in my life are social workers so I'm very surrounded. It's such a good job.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and so that leads into you got you became a doula. So how did I that did. kind of I think
1: it makes a lot of sense how that falls into place but I'm curious what your yeah, it's you, it's interesting. I think I sometimes tell people when they're confused about the differences between a doula and a midwife or exactly what a doula is that the doula is sort of like a social worker of the birth world. I mean, we're providing yeah. emotional support, physical support and informational support um, in similar ways that we might be providing emotional support and informational support to families and social work. There's a lot of differences, but there is definitely an overlap in the skill set. And so Um, For me, my path to becoming a doula kind of went really far back. I always like to make sure I credit my own mom because when I was growing up, a lot of the images and stories I was receiving about pregnancy and especially birth was scary. A lot of, you know, media representation of women and pregnant folks being wheeled down hospital corridors really fast, emergency style. And a lot of just talk about how painful pregnancy is and i felt like i wasn't getting a lot of information about this being an empowering experience or being a positive experience except from my mom and my mom always talked about it being a really magical time for her and a time when she was really feeling a lot of love and so i kind of started being obsessed with pregnancy at that point because of the way that my mom always talked about it um and then from there, I you know, just always loved babies and the whole world of reproductive health and sexual health. I started moving into that as a social worker. And um, when I was working with students at the school in bed I was working with some teens who were pregnant and watching how they got treated just generally by adults in their lives um, and by the systems and the lack of support or information that many of them had um, really kind of opened my eyes to the world of reproductive health in a new way. Mm-hmm. And so from there, you know, I just kind of kept ending up in these situations where I was working with families across the spectrum of, you know, adoption, <clears throat> grief, and finally to the center where we do a lot of family building work. And I think I just finally said to myself, this is something I've been wanting to do for a long time. I think being a doula is a really rad thing to do. And So I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to go to the training. I'm going to see if I like it, see if it's a thing for me. And I ended up loving it. So um, I've continued to pursue that while I'm, you know, working full time. And um, when did you become a doula? I went to my training at Ancient Song Doula Services in August of 2017.
0: Okay, awesome. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm really curious about uh, Ancient Song. I've, I would love to do a workshop there, but um, mm-hmm. I also did like a, a different uh, doula training. So not through Dona. So I'm curious um,
1: what Ancient Songs was like. So it was really great. I was drawn to theirs because they do a community-based training. Mm-hmm. And so they predominantly work with families of color um, and supporting families of color through the process of, not only pregnancy and birth, but any pregnancy outcome. So they also support abortion and this full spectrum of care. Right. So they're not only rooted in a community model, but also like strongly rooted in social justice. And so that was something that was really important to me. And um, you know, even though their model is about you know like ce- celebrating and supporting families of color. Um, the founder, Chanel, she said to us during the training, you know, m- no matter what community you're from, part of this is that we want you to go back into the world and serve that community. And for me, serving the queer community that I come from has always been part of what I want to do with my dual work. So that aspect really appealed to me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that, um, I'm definitely, definitely want to hear about that. Um, mm-hmm. so you say you identify as queer and mm-hmm. so. W- Bringing that into doula work, how did that? How is that a part of the training and how are you doing that yourself?
1: Yeah, so I think that um, I know just in the broader landscape of birth work, it's kind of been a conversation for the past several years about the integration of more gender neutral terminology or terminology that impacts all families, not just heterosexual, um, you know, two parent families yeah And so part of what I would like to do is expand the inclusive the inclusivity of all types of families um, and kind of thinking about queer not only as it relates to queer and trans folks, LGBTQ folks across the spectrum, but also the idea of queering things in general, um, so to say that. We don't live in a society where there's always a nuclear family unit with a mom and a dad. We see families that are single parents by choice. We see families that are engaged in community parenting or co-parenting. And how do we make space for all of those families in our language and in how we treat people and how we make spaces accessible for folks? Mm -hmm. Um, So those are definitely the forefront of my mind when I'm thinking about my own of practice. And also just knowing so many folks who are queer and trans and want to be creating families yeah. and knowing that it's a gap that exists right now. There's definitely people around the country who are doing really awesome things, but I think that we could be doing more and um, we could always be using more people to do that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, where, where are you seeing that like just? Dis- I'd, I mean totally see it but for people who aren't familiar with the birth world or anything in that we're ca- talking about
1: yeah um so where am I seeing the disparity in terms of yeah just like, like
0: how there isn't inclusivity and um mm-hmm. like where things need to change
1: yeah so I think it really is important to understand the like origins of where birth work comes from and like definitely honor ancient traditions around birth work. And, you know, the idea that for so long, you know, being a doula or being a community about supporting women through this full spectrum of their, you know, pregnancy care and to their birth and to the postpartum care, and then also take that and make room for how society has shifted and how, you know, queer and trans people have been around forever. Um, but, you know, increasing invisibility over the past, you know, several decades and how increasing invisibility and gaining rights in other areas has left more of an opening, I think, for conversations around family building. And I think that the birth world is still catching up with that.
0: Yeah, totally. Um,
1: So definitely in terms of like terminology and how we talk about pregnant people or how we talk about family systems um, just the kinds of educations that are available to folks, um, you know, spaces for community to connect. Those are all spaces where there's a lot of that, like in New York City, for example, I think there's so many amazing resources to pregnant people, but a lot of those resources are geared towards straight people. And of course there's a lot more straight people pregnant than there are queer and trans people, but that doesn't mean that the experience isn't as equally important to create resources for, other communities.
0: Absolutely and I mean just the fact that I don't know there is yeah more straight people that are pregnant but
1: mm-hmm. it's making
0: it very exclusive mm-hmm. the way that we talk about it and teach around it as well.
1: Yeah. Um, how?
0: Yeah. How, how has that been supported for you? Like have you found that you've had access to resources to be able to learn how to support queer families better or is that just something
1: that you felt like you have to do kind of on your own I would say a combination of both so one of the things that I'm really privileged to be a part of is a queer and trans family building group in Brooklyn okay and that was started by a midwife named Lily Dalk who works at the Brooklyn Birthing Center she's a midwife there and, um, last summer she had reached out to a group of birth workers and talked about wanting to put into place a space that was not only information for queer and trans folks, but just a space to connect and create community. And Morgan Richardson, who is the director of the New York City Jewel Collective, yeah. she, she had been running a group for queer and trans parents. And I think they kind of joined forces and out of that grew the queer and trans family building group that I'm a part of um, with Chloe Lubell of Central Park Midwifery and the Midwives is in, Shira Moss of Frida Care, Gina Aikenbaum-Pixker from Community Midwifery Care, and Corey Hompish, who's a a midwife. Mm -hmm. And so the seven of us have created this series of events for queer and trans families and um, you know, a lot of the feedback is that this doesn't exist in many places. Um, there, I know just from working at the center that we do have queer and trans family building stuff here, but there's not that many resources and there's maybe like one or two in each borough, if any. Right. Um, so I definitely have learned from all of the, pe- the women in that group. I've also been lucky enough to attend one of Morgan's, uh, workshops that she runs, about working with lgbtq folks um, and then i would say beyond that a lot of what i've done is my own research um, a lot of like anecdotal just talking to friends um, going to conferences like i went to uh philly trans health and uh engaged in some workshops there around family building and i think you have to really look for the information Absolutely.
0: Yeah. It's not something that's really like presented to you. You have to have an interest. Mm -hmm. And sorry, what was that conference called?
1: It's called Philly Trans Health or Trans Philly Health. I always get it wrong. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But it's it's one of those two. Um, And it's a yearly conference in Philly that I went to for the first time last year um, in my role as you know, uh, the family permanency coordinator at the center. And then I've also been assisting with some of our family building work specifically for uh, trans and gender non-conforming folks.
0: Amazing, that's, yeah, yeah that's so great. Um, what,
1: what kind of support is offered with this group? Like, so we sure have, um, yeah, so we have a meetup every month. It's a two hour meetup on a, typically on a Saturday and uh, we have a space in Brooklyn um, and we invite families who identify anywhere on the LGBTQ spectrum Um, and that acronym doesn't really do it a justice because there's so many folks who make up the queer and trans spectrum people are often you know left out of the conversation asexual people Um, so you know expanding further than LGBTQ to include everyone and we have different topics. Um, we have different people who come in and talk about it. So we just had one on like second parent adoption and we had a social worker and a lawyer come in. We've done like the basics of how to get pregnant 101 on um, through different methods of pregnancy and insemination. We've done conversations around like how to create radical families in a system that doesn't necessarily always support that um, And we usually try to do half of it being information and then half of it being mingling and community building.
0: Awesome. That's, yeah, that's great.
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: What, for things like insemination um, or getting Mm -hmm.
1: pregnant, uh, do you guys provide resources or? Absolutely. Yeah. So all of the midwives in my group, um, several of them do not only like well-person care, but also Um, fertility assistance they'll do you know some of them do at-home insemination or from the clinics that they work at and so they're just an amazing resource in and of itself as the organizers of the group Mm -hmm. but I think between the seven of us we're also really tapped into other resources throughout the city and so can navigate people to the providers that really meet their needs
0: awesome um, in terms of creating radical families, I mean, it sounds like you do a lot of family support generally, but um, mm-hmm. I'd be curious to hear a little bit about that. Like, what is the how, how
1: would you talk about that? How would a group be led? So I actually facilitated that group with my um, friend and midwife friend, Corey, yeah. and we just wanted to make space for people who are, you know, engaging in, quote unquote, non-traditional Means of raising families, whether that be co-parenting with someone who's not your romantic partner, whether that be single parenthood by choice, um, you know, whether you're thinking about having a donor, or you're carrying an egg that's not biologically yours, or you're inducing lactation for a partner who's not the gestational carrier, or you know, all these different ways that families can be created. And just opening space for people to envision like how they want children to play a role in their life and what systems can they have to support that? Is it, is it their partner or is it their family or is it their friends? And, um, how can they make that happen in a world where that's not the most common way of raising a family?
0: Yeah. And, um, with that, like moving into kind of medical care too, um, mm-hmm. I feel like that's something that people really need help with—how to navigate the medical system when you're also trying to live in a, I don't
1: know, more radical way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that you know, at, in my work at the center, um, I talk about the importance of you know midwives and birthing centers, and also making sure that hospitals are being trained um, to understand what it looks like if somebody comes in and it's two moms or two dads or a mom and a dad or a mom and a non-binary parent. Like, what does that look like? How can families prepare themselves to enter into that system? Um, what kind of advocacy will that require? Where can we be sending our families will they is feel safe and affirmed? And are hospitals, like, being trained in this Um, I, So I don't know too much about the ins and outs of hospital trainings. I do know through my work that there are definitely hospitals that are making large strides. Like, I'll shout out Mount Sinai. Um, they've done a lot around uh, inclusivity for trans and gender nonconforming folks um, on their labor delivery units. Um, How are from- they doing that? So I think definitely staff training. They also have, um, I believe, a whole like team of folks that are coordinating LGBTQ care, and um, from things like you know on the and when when announcing a baby's name instead of using like a blue card or a pink card, trying to use a white card, Um, or just making very much sure that any like nurse or hospital staff person who comes and interacts with the clients are sure of pronouns and names and what's the relationship between the folks in the room and the child. Mm -hmm. Um, Just making sure that there's a consciousness around that, because I think a lot of us just move through our everyday life. Like we were all raised in a society that uh, teaches us to think about the world in certain ways. And some of that is like mommy and daddy who are married and have a baby. And even the most, you know, people who are, spend their lives trying to do this work, um, we're all kind of trying to clear our brains of those patterns, I think. Yeah. I know I, it's something that I definitely still run into about, you know, what assumptions do we make about families and people when we see walking down the streets? And so how can we take our everyday language and make sure that we're like queering it and we're making space for people? Um, of all different family structures
0: yeah I mean I do I do find that like the birth world whether it's like not necessarily birth workers but just kind of how we treat it is kind of one of the least queered spaces Mm -hmm. you know um, it's like so inherent to immediately just ask do you know what you're having and like Mm -hmm. to always say mommy and daddy and Mm -hmm. um, definitely in the hospital I see that just like you know, nurses making small talk with laboring people. And, Mm -hmm. um, how would you advocate for, for families that don't want to be a part of that like dichotomy?
1: So I would say like, just trying to definitely doing your research, making sure that you're really comfortable with your care provider. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, finding care providers. We actually did a whole workshop about that on the, at the queer and trans family building group, like how to find your provider. Yeah. Um, so I would say community is really important to this process. And if you don't have an in-person community, like looking to online supports and recommendations and kind of blasting out questions. I need a midwife. I need a well care provider. I need, um, you know, to go to a sperm bank that's going to affirm my identity um, def- so definitely doing research about care providers, making sure that you feel comfortable with them, um, that they're answering your questions, that they're respecting your name, they're respecting your pronoun, they're respecting your relationships. Um, and then, you know, I think there's always a certain amount of risk when you're entering into, uh, institutions. And so thinking about, do you want to have a birth at, in your home? where there is less of a chance of running into bureaucratic things? Do you want mm-hmm. to have your birth at a birthing center? Do you want to um, you know, have a doula at your birth who can help advocate for your needs as a queer and trans family? I think those are all really great options, but I think everybody's circumstances are different. And so you know, having people that you can feel comfortable talking to about your circumstances or your hopes for your birth, um, your hopes for your pregnancy I think is really important.
0: Yeah, and I feel like it's important too, just as doulas to kind of start neutralizing our terminology as it is and to Mm -hmm. not just be reserving these things for people who do identify as queer,
1: but to kind of change the whole verbiage all the time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was just having a conversation with a few of my doula friends recently and one of them was talking about how she kind of started using inclusive language as someone who cares about inclusivity for queer and trans families. But it's actually ended up being really positive thing for a lot of families because, you know, you have couples that aren't married. And if you walk into a room and somebody says, oh, is this your husband? Then having to explain your relationship in the midst of labor, if you can just use more neutral language like partner or um, who's your support person or other things. I mean, everybody has a unique relationship to their Um, their bodies to the whole process that I think, yeah, bringing it down into neutral language just allows more space for everybody's unique experiences, whether they identify as queer or not. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Um, And so I think, I mean, I wanted to kind of talk about terminology. So I guess this is a bit of a backtrack, but I would love to to kind of talk through that and talk about, I mean, general terminology, but also ways that we
1: can, change how we talk about things. Yeah, sure. Okay. So yeah. do you have specific questions or do you want me to just like go into the acronym? Go for before? it. <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> um, so This is very broad, but... <laughs> that's okay. I mean, I've been dropping LGBTQ+, so I can start there. Okay. Um, so that's something that we will see a lot is the term LGBTQ+, which stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer questioning, and the plus is meant to be a stand-in for all the identities that are not represented by the term LGBTQ+. So you might see LGBTQIA, which Mm -hmm. um, would be intersex, asexual, um, or sometimes people include A as ally, um, which would be someone who's an ally to the community. Um, That can be a little bit contentious as to whether or not allies are part of the community or a support for the community. But I think that in the birth world, allies are definitely really important. Yeah. Um, and so let's see, um, another common one you'll see is like TGNC, which is trans and gender non-conforming. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want me to get into any of the definitions of these things, I'm happy to. Um, I think, I mean, those make
0: sense. I guess I'm not trying to think of people who are listening and mm-hmm. what they might know. Um,
1: so far so good. <laughs> <I think>. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, I think, you know, I teach terminology in my trainings and we go over it and we talk about how important it is to understand people's identity. And then we go over all these terminologies and what they mean and the definitions. And at the end, I always say, okay, now that we've just spent all this time talking about terminology, I think the most important thing to remember is that everybody's identity is unique to themselves. One word cannot possibly encompass everybody's experiences. And so... I think one of the important things is being comfortable having conversations. So um, if somebody says to you, I'm queer, you might say, you know, thanks so much for letting me know. What does that mean to you? What does being queer mean to you? Because, you know, I identify as queer, but somebody listening to this doesn't know what that means to me. And so I think getting to know people's individual experiences and being open to having those conversations in a way that is meaningful and not like nosy or voyeuristic, but in a way that's like, it's important for me to know how you identify and how that impacts your pregnancy experience or your birthing experience or your decision to terminate a pregnancy or, you know, um, your relationship with your family or your relationship with your friends and your partners. Those things, I think, all can play into our sexuality or our gender identity. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, being open to having those conversations. And I think when people get freaked out about not knowing the terminology, um, people can be closed off from conversations because it gets very intimidating
0: yes yeah i think that there's i mean a lack of understanding of terminology but also yeah the fear to ask
1: questions Mm -hmm. and to have these
0: conversations
1: yeah and i would say like people who are oppressed in any way or minority of any way are constantly asked to have to explain themselves and educate themselves to other people so i do think there's a certain degree of being able to educate yourself outside of asking somebody's experiences. Um, I mean, we live in the day and age of the internet and there's so much amazing stuff, like amazing YouTube videos of people talking about what it means to them to have a certain identity, um, books, articles, blog posts. I mean, I think so much of the research that I have done around queer and trans family building has come from the internet or, um, you know, people talking at conferences or, um, people talking on panels and just conversations with friends anecdotally
0: yeah I think that um I mean as you're kind of saying like people who are oppressed to be the ones to explain themselves all the time mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah be. and um and it often falls on them to be the ones to do so right so for people who might not be I guess a part of that group Mm -hmm. being oppressed how how would you recommend that they
1: kind of go about educating themselves um I definitely think like look for look for classes like I said um, Morgan Richardson has um, a two-part course about working with LGBTQ families and then also Mm -hmm. thinking about how your own privileges and your own identities impact your work Um, As a social worker, I think that's so important. I mean, we do that all the time in the social work field, thinking about how our own biases and how our own identities impact our work with communities that we do not share an identity with. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think, you know, doing your own research, if there's things that you don't understand. And I also think part of being a good ally is like, it's okay to say, you know what, I don't actually think I know enough to work with this family. and another family will come my way, but I'm going to refer this family to someone who I know is just really going to be on it for them and has more experience. And I don't think that there's anything wrong in, in that. It's not um, a failure on your part. If you can't work with every single client that comes, you know, past you, Um, I think it's important to know what your limitations are and your own scope of practice. And like, there's definitely, you know, in my own experience as a newer doula, there's, I've gotten inquiries, which I've passed on because I thought, you know, I don't have experience in that particular kind of birthing situation yet. And based on this client's needs or this parent's needs, like I would rather have them in someone else's hands right now. And so I think that that's part of being an ally too.
0: Absolutely. And I I do think that's an interesting thing to bring up is that being a new doula and I have this conversation a lot um, is like you kind of, or there's a tendency to just take on whatever comes your way. Mm -hmm. Um, How have you filtered through that?
1: Um, It's kind of just different things. I would say that, um, you know, I think a lot of families are looking for doulas with more experience. um, Mm -hmm. And I totally respect and understand that. I think that's one of the struggles for new doulas is like trying to get families that, Um, will put their trust in you in such an important moment in their life. Um, I would say that I have, you know, I'm trying to think about my own care as it relates to the needs of um, of parents. And so if there's a family that's like two hours away by transit, my inclination might be like, yes, 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 I want to do it. But then thinking about how all of that work will impact me and my own body and my own care. And am I the best person in that situation? And, that's no shade to anyone who decides to travel really far for clients, but I've kind of tried to make my own boundaries around that, um, you know, in the interest of clients. Yeah. Um, but I mean, largely I've been really open to working with anybody who's looking for a doula who might not otherwise be able to afford one, or maybe just like really late in their pregnancy found out about a doula or decided that they wanted one or someone recommended a doula to them. And, um, I think I've gotten quite a few referrals that way. Um, I think there's really only been one or two situations in which I referred out. And one was because it was um, a VBAC birth. So vaginal birth after cesarean. Right. And just the situation surrounding it, I just really felt like I, knowing how her first pregnancy had gone, I just wanted someone who had had more experience for her. That's what I wanted for her. So I decided to refer to a couple of my doula friends who were more experienced. Um, And then the only other situation I think that's happened for that is if I couldn't, you know, be available for the birth and um, referring to, you know, my network of doula friends in those cases.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like, mean that this question is so personal to each person but Mm -hmm. yeah I do I do find that that's very hard I think Mm -hmm. part of being a doula a lot of the times is kind of martyring and Mm -hmm. how to like set up your own boundaries
1: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah it it can be challenging
1: yeah and I think also um, you know it's when you're moving into a birth for the first time as a birthing person I think it's really hard to know what you're going to need or what a doula should be doing and So trying to have conversations with families around what it might mean to work with a doula who hasn't been at so many births, you know, are there strengths to that? Are there limitations to that? Um, And I think as a social worker, I have definitely appreciated how my skill set there has translated into being able to help families because um, it's actually been really useful. How How's that been? Um, I think just like navigating conversations around um, relationship dynamics, Um, knowing how to just hold space, knowing how to put the client's needs first. I mean, that's what we do in social work all the time is like meeting clients where they're at. And, um, so really already having that ingrained attitude of like, it's not about me, it's about them Mm -hmm. has, I think really helped. Um, yeah, that's huge. Yeah. And like just being connected to different social services throughout the city, like I think has helped me in making referrals, um, all that stuff. But I would definitely say there's some huge differences too, which is interesting. And, and part of the reason why I love dual work, I mean, I think it's a different kind of connection with a person. Um, it's boundaryed in different ways. You know, the boundaries you're talking about might be around your self-care or, um, you know, knowing your scope of practice in terms of not being a medical professional. But, you know, it's an ongoing relationship in a different way than it is with many uh, social work situations. And, um, you know, it's, it's definitely intimate on a different level on a much different level. Yeah, absolutely. It's,
0: it's very unique. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I know. It's
1: funny talking to people about like what I do and what an experience, you know, what the experience is, was like of, of a birth. And it is kind of hard to put it into words or compare it to another profession.
0: Yeah. I think, um, I think I've kind of always compared it to social work as well, because I've mm-hmm. always felt kind of inclined to that work. Mm-hmm. But it is so different. And, I mean, I'm not a social worker, so I don't know. But it, I think it just totally digs into different sectors of each. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting that you do both.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I do, I do feel like it would cultivate a way more... Uh, I don't know, like, strong social justice Mm. background, um, Mm -hmm. which obviously it sounds like is the case.
1: Yeah, that's definitely been important to me, is, like, coming at this through a lens of social and reproductive justice and um, thinking about contextually. You know, it's funny because I definitely define myself as an activist, and I don't think that everybody looks at being a doula as being an activist, but I definitely think that there is a lot of room for activism in birth work and I, yeah. what's well, part of why I like it is because I can carry that part of my identity into that world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And do you feel like you get to do that all of the time? Or like, are you really choosing clients or choosing to work with clients that kind of fall in line with that? Or is that not necessarily the case?
1: Um, I wouldn't say that I'm like specifically choosing or not choosing clients based on that. I think that. Um, just generally thinking about how you know, outcomes in the birth world and what they're like in the United States um, mm-hmm. is something that falls w- when, with every family, no matter if they're low income or high income or white or a person of color. Um, I think you know, there's unique experiences, particularly for low income women of color in this country. and. You know, there was just the New York Times article that came out and last week was Black Maternal Health Week. And it's really important to be thinking about those things and centering those experiences. Um, But that also doesn't mean that I'm not going to work with someone who does have a lot of privilege and a lot of means. I really, you know, one of the questions I get asked a lot is, do you support families who blank? So do you support families who want a planned cesarean or do you support families who want an epidural or do you support families who want a home birth? And my question, answer is always, yes, I support you no matter what you want, no matter what your needs are, no matter what your situation is. Um, my job is to be there for you as your whole person.
0: Yeah. And I think that's kind of the really the activist aspect of it is mm-hmm. just always supporting people, whether, you know, their choices might fall in line with what you would choose for yourself or not Mm -hmm. like giving people the space to make those choices Mm -hmm. just yeah so powerful yeah um so how how would you say your your queer identity has impacted your work as a doula um
1: well I would definitely say um so I would say it was an interesting experience examining like my own womanhood Um because, you know, being a queer person and, you know, working at the center and having a lot of queer folks in my community, I'm really used to talking about um kind of getting rid of binary thinking of like woman man or masculine feminine. Um, and I sometimes think that like my queer identity has played a bigger role in my life in the past few years than my identity as a woman. Mm -hmm. Um, and then moving into a birth work space where it's so centered. I mean, no matter how inclusive we want to make it, like every single doula that I know is either a woman or a trans person. Um, I know that there are, you know, cisgender male doulas and that's rad. I have not met any yet. Yeah, Um, me neither. I didn't know they existed. (laughs) Yeah. But um, I think it's definitely centers my like womanhood and my being a woman in a different way than, than it than I have like in my other relationships or professions in the past few years Um, So that's been cool and interesting. And then also thinking about um, kind of like my own experiences and what I would want to see, because I do want my own family and I, I want to have children and um, my partner is non-binary. And so that has definitely played into my identity as a doula. And like, I think my love of them trickles into wanting to support other folks who are also non-binary or trans and Um, you know, thinking about how my family might look or what that experience would be like for me, I've learned a lot about the intersections, particularly of like gender and the world of pregnancy and and birth and having babies generally, whether that's like through adoption or foster care or biological Mm carrying.
0: Um,
1: so I definitely think that's like lit a fire under my ass. (laughs) Is my, yeah. my personal connection to it um, absolutely and you know I, do, I haven't worked with any queer families yet i would love to work with queer and trans families and um and also i would love to support families who are not queer and trans like i i want to do both um but i do think that i have a unique skill set in like thinking about not only my professional background um a social worker someone who like works in lgbt community and being a queer person i hope that like I will be able to be of service to families who do feel marginalized or do feel like they need added support because of their identities.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. How do you feel like this has kind of recentered your identity as a woman, as
1: you said? Um, I think it's actually helped me kind of uh, come back into that a little bit more and, you know, think about just because I, you know, being a woman does not negate my queer identity. Um, You know, I have, I definitely think I like play with gender um, in terms of like how I dress and how I express myself and um, kind of some fluidity within that. And so um, moving into birth work, I think has kind of taught me to reevaluate that, like that doesn't make me any less of a woman mm-hmm. um, and that both of those things are can be held at once. Like I'm kind of like a, more of a gender queered or gender fluid queer woman Um, but I'm still a woman and, um, that's been actually pretty cool to kind of like come into community with women and, and have that energy and support.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily need to be binary. right? Yeah. Um, how, how do you feel like we can kind of, I don't know, be better supports there and like supporting people with queer identities and in birth work? that being
1: said? Yeah, um, I would say, you know, I think trying to make our language more inclusive generally is helpful. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, it's interesting, because when I think about, like, generally, the medical profession, what I've, what i continuously hear is that LGBTQ identity is not woven into everyday learning. It's sort of its its own unit. And I think that's how it is a lot of times with, with queer and trans education or competency or whatever you want to call it, is that it's always yeah. like its own thing. And I think what I would love to see is like more childbirth education classes or more birth workers just integrating that into their language all the time because you're not excluding straight and, you know, heterosexual cisgender people by using that language, but you could be excluding, you know, queer and trans people. And um, I think it's important to look at how those identities impact people's experiences along the way. So rather than just always having it be like, and today we're going to talk about queer people, how can you (laughs) fold that in at like every turn? Absolutely. Um, That's something that I reflect on about my own social work education too like uh, we had at the school we had like one class about lgbtq folks and it didn't like i wish instead of that it would have just gotten integrated into every class like an intersectional approach to birth work would include like queer and trans families families of color single parent families unmarried parents like all of those different types of systems
0: yeah I mean,
1: yeah, it's something I'm thinking about all the time because it is it's so easy,
0: even coming from like a gender studies background or that's what I mean. I studied gender studies in school, Mm. so I feel like this is something I think about all the time. Mm -hmm. But it's so easy, especially being immersed in a world where people do just use like really binary language. Mm -hmm. It's just it's easy to fall into that Mm -hmm. and trying to like keep that in
1: check it's, I think it's so important and we all need to be kind of reminded of that. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if this is like contentious to say, but something that I also think a lot about is like, what's the difference between being like LGBT friendly and knowledgeable versus like being affirming. Um, right. So it's like amazing when people like change the language on their website or, or identify themselves as, as LGBTQ friendly or affirming. But I think you have to really examine if you can put that into practice or not, because it's not as simple as just like using inclusive language. Um, It goes a lot deeper than that. And so I think, you know, being an ally or being someone who can serve different communities is an ongoing thing that you're developing as, as a birth worker. Um, And like, like I said before, like, it's okay to know your own limits. Like as birth workers, there's no way we can possibly be the best to every single person. Um, And so, you know, knowing what our limits are and it's okay. Like if you are a birth worker who wants to use the terms mom and she and her and all that stuff, like, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to shame those people.
0: Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. It's very, it's the traditional way of doing Mm -hmm. it. So. Um, For people who are trying to be more affirming or friendly, Mm -hmm. um, how would you suggest they move further into this other than just using inclusive
1: language? Um, Definitely look for trainings when they come up. Um, And maybe even thinking outside the box of, like, birth world trainings. I mean, I think more trainings exist in, like, the social work world, the social services world. So maybe trying to check out some trainings that are not specifically tailored to birth workers, but are just tailored to people who want to learn. Um, yeah. People are welcome to reach out to me with questions. I'm, you know, I do this for my job, so I'm happy to answer questions or talk to people. Um, what else? I mean, yeah, just like, I think going back to the doing your own research part, like the, the internet is great. Um, yeah. I think it can help to find vetted sources so even if people want to reach out to a trusted friend who's like queer or trans or to a colleague to just say like hey I'm looking for some like not only resources but some good resources mm-hmm. um it's incredible stuff um
0: yeah yeah it's important to make sure it's legitimate yeah. yeah I don't know actually supportive yeah definitely that's great yeah um and what about so with um ancient song I'm sure that they talk about this a lot in the training mm-hmm um and then do they talk much about childbirth ed and how do we make childbirth ed more
1: like queer affirming um not too much to my recollection like just that we generally trying to think back to my training now which was almost a year ago um I mean, the person who, who did our training, um, I think definitely tried to use like expansive language when talking about families and different family experiences. Um, but it's definitely something that I'm thinking about as somebody who would like to do childbirth education in the future is like, where can I go to get trained in a way that represents my identity and the yeah. identity of people in my community. Um, I know there's not, like, too much out there. I know um, Michelle Ariada, I believe is her last name. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah. I work
0: with four-year Birth. Okay, um,
1: cool. The agency,
0: and so she's developing a, uh, yeah, a queer childbirth ed, um, which is amazing, and I'm so excited for that to come come out. Yeah, um, and I know we actually, yeah. I actually spoke
1: to Michelle by phone recently, and we connected because I was like, you're a queer birth worker, and I'm a queer birth worker, and so we connected, and um, I think, you know, more stuff like that, like, you you know, that families can go to and that there's not only like just one or two people doing it in the city. Right.
0: Yeah. We just, we need more of it. I mean, I think, I think it's so incredible that she's doing it. Mm-hmm. I just wish that there was more, more like ways for, for like birth professionals to mm-hmm. be trained in how to teach it as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think like, I said, know your strengths and your own limitations, but things that are simple as in a lot of childbirth education, I think that there's activities where you separate like the moms from the dads. Um, yeah. and so like thinking about how that would impact somebody, if they were signing up for your class and there wasn't a mom and a dad, or if the person who is pregnant identifies as dad and the other person doesn't identify as mom, like there's so many variables and just thinking right. about how you can make spaces more inclusive for everyone. Um, thinking about asking people's pronouns or all of those things.
0: Yeah, simply, simply asking people's pronouns, we
1: could all be doing. <laughs> yeah, and I also think one of the most important things that I have learned is that we tend to like lump queer and trans people together as a community, but mm-hmm. when it comes to the birth world, the needs of queer and trans folks are definitely very different from each other. Um, And so when it comes to gender identity, you're having to navigate medical systems in different ways than you would necessarily if you were, like, bisexual or pansexual or gay. Um, Right. And so being LGB-affirming and being, like, TGNC-affirming, so, like, being, like, lesbian, gay, bisexual-affirming or transgender-nonconforming are not the same thing in my mind. Right,
0: right. Um, Yeah, totally. Yeah. How would you... I would say, I guess, like, how, as a birth worker, would you separate those things, and how can you support both at the same time?
1: Um, I would just say, I mean, like, number one, like, knowing that there's a difference is yeah. important. Um, knowing that there's not that much scientifically based information out there about parenting, about, like, specifically about, like, carrying a child as a trans person, or, um, being a sperm donor as a trans person or like being the partner of someone like let's say like cisgender being that you identify with the sex you were assigned at birth. Um, I'll just like give an example. So if you are um, a cisgender woman whose partner is a trans woman um, and like thinking about utilizing sperm and like at what point did this person go start going on hormones? Like did they go on hormones? Did they bake their sperm beforehand? Um, if you're, you know, a trans man or a non-binary person that has a uterus and wants to carry a child, like, what have your interactions been with hormones or um, all of those facets? Um, most of what exists right now is, like, anecdotal community-based information. Um, right. And so there's definitely strides happening. Um, but... Yeah, just, just knowing that like it can be harder for people who are trans and, and non-binary to find community, and so I think one of the things that I've tried to do in birth workspaces is like make more space for that. Um, so how do you do that? Well, I'll just shout out that the center is having um, the LGBTQ family building expo on Saturday, May fifth. Okay. Um, And that's an all-day expo for folks who are looking to build family um, either through like biological means or through adoption, surrogacy, and um, it's like just a day of information workshops, meeting providers, meeting other folks looking to build families and like making sure that there are specifically information resources available for trans folks. making sure that everyone who comes is versed in what it means to work with trans population. Um, like I'm going to be facilitating a trans parents panel. So people talking about their experiences, parenting as a trans person and like how that's not necessarily the same as parenting. If you're two gay men, for example. Right.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Totally different. Yeah. And just like so not shying away thing? from
1: talking about it. Yeah. Mhm. Okay.
0: Yeah. And do you feel like this is something because I, I feel like lots of times, as you're saying, kind of making like queerness be separate and having, you know, to not have it be integrated mm-hmm. into just constant conversation. So how do you feel like you you can make space or in not just like you, but everybody, mm-hmm. <laughs> all the birth workers, how can we make more space in our birth work community and, or just general doula community, not birth
1: only? Um, yeah. I think there's like some really cool guides that are circulating right now. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff coming out of Canada, actually. Um, cool. Like in terms of queer and trans birthing persons. Um, and so you can like Google, online uh lists of terminology that's more inclusive um okay. so like I'm, I always try to use the word like birthing person or person with a uterus or um lactation rather than breastfeeding or chest feeding um or just feeding or infant feeding like things that can be applied to anyone mm-hmm. so like if you're feeding an infant it doesn't matter if you're doing it from a bottle or from a boob or from a flat chest you know Um, right so those kinds of things i think can be really helpful in making people feel like it's a space that they're included in um and then but there's also the reality of the rest of the world right like what it's like to be a visibly pregnant queer trans person and i think um part of our role as doulas is like emotionally supporting people through that aspect of the journey as well right yeah because that's not easy yeah and like connecting to community I really think like at the end of the day I'm like I can't be everything for someone and one of the things I would want to do with any family that I work with who was experiencing um isolation or feeling like their family was different is like just trying to connect them with other families that are like theirs and that's like what the queer and trans family building group that I'm part of in Brooklyn is trying to do um you know, that's why we had, we like specifically had a TGNC family building expo at the center back in November, um, because I think it is really important for families to talk to each other and also for people to identify like possibility models um, of like, oh, that person has a relationship that's sort of like mine, or they share an identity that's sort of like mine, and like they had a kid and it's possible, and I wanna do that too, and I wanna talk to them about what their experiences were like, and um, you know, just thinking about. This is more of a social work thing, but thinking about if someone is part of a community where they might have had previously bad experiences with medical providers, like how is sure. that going to impact their decision in finding their providers for pregnancy? Um, you know, I think like part of this is being a trauma informed birth worker.
0: Yeah, um, absolutely.
1: That's I think really important too.
0: I mean, I find like finding a care provider is so challenging all the time for Mm -hmm. everybody and how like what resources do you know that exist to help people do that
1: (laughs) that's a great question um there is a search engine called rad remedy okay um and they specifically focus on providers that are trans affirming awesome um they're is I mean queer trans family building group. We um, have a Facebook page and we have a Gmail account. Um, I don't know if, if I provide it to you if, I, if you can put it in like the description for the for the episode. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Yeah. So I think um, we're always happy to help connect people. Um, you know, if I think finding a doula is a great thing to do because doulas are really connected. Um, yeah, word of mouth I think is really helpful in finding providers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So much of all of what we're talking about,
1: I feel like is it really just stems back to community building. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And like crowdsourcing on Facebook yeah. and other things. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, um, we'll have a list of resources for people. Awesome.
1: Yeah. And like, like, I mean the LGBT expo is a place where we're going to have like doctors and lawyers and, um, you know, different a- adoption agencies, foster care agencies, um, midwives, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Is this something that
0: like birth workers could go to or? It's
1: for families. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. I think there's actually, you know, the lack of LGBT affirming birth services definitely extends to birth workers as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Like not having enough places to go and to learn and to get connected to information. Yeah, I,
0: I totally agree. I think that there needs to be more.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, do you actually, do you know of many?
1: Of money? Any like
0: resources for, yeah, for birth workers?
1: Um, I mean, I mean, I just keep going back to Morgan's class. <laughs> yeah. <you> um, <laughs> and I'm sure there's highlighted others. Um, like I know that there are some like national resources Um, and I think there's people who are doing like webinars and other things. I mean, personally for me, like I have my own doula Instagram and like searching through hashtags, like queer doula or queer birth worker, Mm -hmm. um, has led me to people who are doing this stuff around the country. And that's really cool. And I think looking to what they're doing and you know what materials are they, disseminating what kind of groups are they running are they doing stuff that's accessible online
0: amazing yeah it's as much as I hate social media on some levels it's such a good resource I think especially for these community building things yeah absolutely it's
1: huge yeah Yeah. and then I mean for me as a queer doula like I've been really really lucky to been able to start building community with other queer doulas locally um and so I think, you know, just community building is a really important part of parenting, but I think it's also a really important part of birth work. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And uh, that was one thing I just was thinking about asking you was um, why you chose to do the full spectrum doula training versus a birth doula training.
1: Yeah. So I think I, I knew that I wanted to be in a position to support people through a full spectrum of pregnancy outcomes because I had worked in adoption, because I had worked in grief support. Um, and know that there's so, that there can be so much loss that comes with, um, pregnancy. And that's definitely something that, um, you know, trying to get pregnant as a queer trans person, it's not always as simple as, you know, having sex and monitoring your fertility on your own. It can be a lot more invasive and, um, loss and, you know, pregnancy loss can definitely be a part of it. And, Wanting to hold spaces for those kind of conversations, wanting to support people who decide to terminate a pregnancy, um, people who are, you know, bringing a child into the world through surrogacy or adoption. Um, I really wanted to be prepared to work with people across all of those spectrums, um, and then also provide support after, you know, after delivery.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I also did a full spectrum doula training and. I just found it to be, like, soul, so soul-nourishing, I Mm -hmm. guess. Just, yeah, and even, you know, if you never really get to support people that are experiencing loss, which Mm -hmm. I I think everybody does at some point, but if you never get to, it's just, like, such a good self-care thing
1: to do even. Yeah, I mean, before I decided to, like, finally jump into the 40-hour – doula training, I um, had played around with applying for the doula project and like, you know, doing abortion doula work. And um, it just didn't really work with my schedule in terms of like working a 10 to 6 Monday through Friday job. But that had been on my radar before I decided to do a birth worker uh, doula training. And so that definitely stayed with me of like, how can I do both? How can I be available for um, both of these like pregnancy outcomes?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I did. That's the one I did. And it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, I would totally recommend. I mean, any any full spectrum doula training, I think, like if you've already done a birth training or
1: whatever, adding that on is Uh so helpful. You know, it's funny, though. I don't know if you find this like I don't necessarily know what if people outside of the birth community know what that means. I often think that like I'll write I'm a full spectrum doula, um, but I feel the need to also put and a birth doula (laughs) because I don't necessarily
0: know. I agree. Actually, I, yeah, that's so funny. I do. I do feel like full spectrum people just kind of automatically have ideas about what that is. And yeah, don't always understand that. I do. I do still attend labors. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've gotten through everything. I don't know if you have any more to say.
1: Um, I don't think so. I mean, I really appreciate you taking the time out to chat with me and, um, I'm so so excited that you're doing this. I think there's a lot of cool stuff happening, it seems like, in the world of of podcasts. Well, this is the first podcast I've ever been on, so thank you. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Thank you so much. It was great to talk to you.
1: Yeah, of course. And if you have any follow-up questions or if anyone listening has any questions or wants resources, um, I am available to be contacted. How can people contact you? Um, So my email address is amandahayden.doula at gmail.com. Okay. Um, If you Google me, Amanda Hayden Doula, um, my doula match profile will be like the second thing that comes up. Um, Mm -hmm. And I also, I have a website through SquarePaste and I have a domain, but I have not connected them yet. So eventually in the very near future, I'll be accessible from www.amandahaydendoula.com. Okay. Awesome. Yes.
0: Whenever <laughs> that's available, I will let people know.
1: <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Yeah. That's been a, a fun um, branding, learning how to brand yourself experience.
0: Oh, it's so weird. Yeah. I have a <sighs> friend who's really helping me and um, like every time I post on Instagram, she'll text me immediately and
1: be like, get on those hashtags.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so fun. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. And if um I think something that I've been thinking about is like um like queer and trans birth worker circles, and I don't know if they exist, but if anybody is interested in maybe starting one, shout out at me. Um, I've been able to connect kind of individually with different queer and trans doulas, but I would love to maybe try to do something a little more formal. So that's an idea that's floating around my head.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm encouraging people to get in touch about that
1: for sure. (laughs) Cool.
0: Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you. Have a good rest of your day. Yeah, of course. You too. Thanks. Thanks. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. I just wanted to say that if you have any thoughts or feedback or questions, feelings, whatever, please feel free to reach out. I'd love to hear from you. And if you have any interest in being on the podcast or know anybody who might be, please let them know. Let me know. I would love to have more conversations like this. It's so exciting and fun, and thank you so much for listening. Check out the show notes. I have links to a lot of the resources that we talked about here. And I will see you next week. Thank you.